We're beginning a new series today called On Purpose, and we know that so many of us, no matter what season of life we're in, we're asking the question, where does meaning and purpose come from in my life, and how do I connect to the purpose that I'm here for and what God's really doing and and why I'm even going through the motions? And so over the next three weeks, you're going to hear from different voices uh, that we're connected to as a church about how you can gain clarity in the area. And in a little bit, I'm going to introduce our our guest speaker this morning. I'm going to be speaking next week, and I'm super excited to give that message. I won't go any further than that because I'll start preaching the message right now. So we'll save that for next week. But two things I wanted you to know about. One, if you're new to Cornerstone in this season and you want to learn more about our church, maybe you have a sweet tooth too. We've got a great event called Pastor's Dessert that's coming on April the 15th. That's next Sunday. We meet in a home of one of our members. It's super informal. We eat some great dessert. We share a little bit about who our church is in our store. We get to know you a little bit and that give you a chance to ask questions. It's a great time. It always um, it doesn't sell out because there's no price, but it always fills up and we run out of space. So we'd encourage you today, if you're interested in coming, go out to the Belong table in the lobby, meet with one of our volunteers and sign up. We'll save you a spot and you can join us next Sunday night. And then if you're new in the season of Cornerstone, I'd encourage you, um, I know a lot of times people don't read the bulletin. It's kind of one of the, um, you know, untold stories of the church. And so in your bulletin on the left-hand side, you have information in our church and ways you can get more involved. We do gather here on Sundays, but this isn't the only gathering of our church. There's information there about how you can get involved in one of our community groups and how you can connect with people, how you can get involved using your giftedness and how you can serve, and then ways that you can engage your friends. And I would just say, you know, last Sunday we had an amazing day, but it was amazing because you were courageous in inviting your friends to be here. And I know some of you were walking in last Sunday morning going, Scott, don't screw this up. I invited my friend. Don't screw this up. Don't make a mistake. I, I put my neck out there. And we're just so grateful that you were courageous in inviting friends to be here with you. And we're thankful that you would really believe in what God's doing here enough to bring somebody with you. And we hope that continues to be a part of your experience here. But with that being said, I want to make an introduction. Three years ago, uh, I, uh, I met a guy that I'd been listening to for years on the radio. His name was Ron Wolfley. He played for 10 seasons for the Phoenix Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals, and the St. Louis Cardinals, all the same team, uh, but they moved several times, along with the St. Louis Rams and the Cleveland Browns. Ron went on to be a four-time pro bowler on the special teams squad of the Cardinals. But what, what made Ron a friend of mine was not what he did in the field, because I met him after that. And what made him a friend of mine wasn't what I heard on the radio, because I became his friend after that. What made me a friend of Ron Wolfley is the man that he is, and the husband, and the father, and the follower of Jesus that he is. And he calls himself a savage, and anybody who calls himself a savage is good in my book, so please welcome my friend Ron Wolfley to the stage. But you are a savage. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. No, Thank you. All right, Scotty, thank you so much for that. Really appreciate it. A pastor's desserts? Is that what you said? <laughs> you didn't tell me about that. What's up with that? How are we all doing this morning? Doing okay? A couple of years ago, um, I was getting ready to talk to a men's group at my church, Highlands Church in Scottsdale. And um, I was like, Lord, what do you want me to tell these men? What do you want me to talk about? And I was in prayer about it. I was praying about it and meditating on it. Just wanted to really yield myself to the Holy Spirit and say, what is it you want me to say? And this image came into my head, grab the sword. And I was like, okay, grab the sword. Um, I kept praying on it, struggled with it a little bit more. 
Wasn't sure what it was that I wanted to talk about. It was a week out. All of a sudden, it was grab the sword and run down the hill. I was like, Lord, they already think I'm crazy. Now, honestly, you want to grab the sword and run down the hill? That's what I'd like to talk to you about. Um, I kept praying on it. Grab the sword, run down the hill, and then finally it all came together. Attack your fear. Grab the sword, run down the hill, and attack your fear. That's what I want to talk to you about today, okay? Attacking your fear. So much of the time, we think of fear as being on the defensive, right? Oh my goodness, boy, there it is. Something bad happens in our life, and then boom, you put up a wall of defense. I'm going to challenge you this morning, and I'm challenging myself first and foremost. As I talk to you this morning, just know that I'm talking to myself first. But I'm going to challenge you this morning to go on the offensive with your fear. And I'll show you how to do that. Now I'm going to do something that really terrified the first, the first service. I'm going to put on a demonstration, and boom! How many times have you seen that, right? <laughs> Haven't seen that very often here in church. What's your name, big guy? Johnny, Johnny would you come up here for a minute? And <laughs> what's your name, big guy? Tom. Tom, would you come up here for a minute? Johnny and Tom, give them a round of applause. Come up here, please. If you don't mind, Johnny, right? Yep. And Tom, stand shoulder to shoulder right there. There you go. Can we have the shot of the wedge up there? I used to bust up wedges when I played in the NFL. Does everyone know what a wedge is? A wedge is basically, look at those three human beings right there for the Denver Broncos. Every one of those guys, they're well over 300 pounds, 320, 330 pounds, whatever it may be. They grab each other's hand and they go shoulder to shoulder. You can only have two in the NFL anymore. They don't allow three. And the reason why they don't allow three is because of the nightmare I'm about to show you. This is what I did in the NFL. Johnny, Tom, are you okay? They're going to bring out some little guy, okay? He's going to kick the ball off, and he's going to have a weird face mask and probably a funny last name, okay? The kicker will kick the ball, and suddenly these, these guys, these human beings, they get in front of the return man, and somebody's got to go in and take them out. I'm here to tell you now, right now, ladies and gentlemen, in the National Football League, this is the scariest proposition you can possibly have. To run 50 yards as fast as you can and bury your head into a man the size of Saturn's third moon. <laughs> do you understand? It's a scary proposition. But here's how you do it. Are you ready, guys? I'm going to run down the field as fast as I can. I'm going to run down the field. Johnny, I'm going to stare at you the whole time. <laughs> Never take your eyes off of Johnny as you run down the field as fast as you can. Never take your eyes off Johnny. And when you get about here, hit Tom. <laughs> you got it? It's that simple. Go ahead. Sit down, guys. I'll tell you why. The reason why that's so funny is because Johnny, Johnny's seen me on film he knows this crazy boy, he's not going to stop. He's not going to break stride. He's nuts. And he's going to block himself. I won't have to touch him. Tom, on the other hand, is thinking, oh, my goodness, this guy's not even looking at me. He's not even looking at me. 
I'm going to kill. And as he's thinking that, I'm going to hit him right about there. I'll release all of my kinetic energy before Tom could release his. Do you see the way that works? Interesting, right? That's, I gave you that demonstration because it's probably the scariest thing you can do in football. And it's a scary proposition, but somebody's got to do it. I think life can be that way, right? Life can be scary. And that's a fact that will never change. The question becomes, as believers, ladies and gentlemen, what do we do? What do we do about that terror? What do we do about our fear? How do we deal with it? The good answer is what? God. Jesus. That's a great answer and a great way to start. And you're right. But I want to go in a little bit more in depth, give you my thoughts on that topic here today. And the first thing I want you to understand, as I said before, I'm talking to myself first and foremost, okay? I'm not talking at you. I'm talking with you. It's really important for you to understand that. I'm going to start with Psalm 56.3. I absolutely love this psalm for so many different reasons. Psalm 56.3 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. (laughs) It's so simple, isn't it? That's the reason why I love it. It's so simple. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And you know what else it is? It's personal too, isn't it? The psalmist is talking to whom? The Lord God. That's who he's talking to. I put my trust in you. I love that for its simplicity and for how personal it is. But it also is a plan. That's the reason why I love it too. It's a plan. It's saying, you know what? When I am afraid, I'm going to put my trust in you. Do you think you have a decision to make? Every time you're faced with fears in your life, whatever those fears may be, do you have a decision to make as to whether or not you're going to put your trust in God or not? No matter what you face in your life. That's a decision. And if you're going to make that decision, that means it's a plan. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be active. I'm going to attack it myself. We should always put our trust in God. There's no doubt about that, right? So why is God's word being redundant here? I don't believe God's word is being redundant, ladies and gentlemen, with Psalms, Psalm 56.3. I believe it's a point of emphasis. I believe it's God saying, especially when you're afraid, put your trust in me, especially when you're afraid. But you need a plan of attack. As any good wedge buster will tell you right now, you need a plan of attack, right? I'm going to give you a quick Cliff Notes version. Number one, acknowledge your fears. There's your plan of attack. Acknowledge your fears, number one. Number two, attack your fear with your faith in God. And number three, keep your eyes on Jesus through it all. Let me start with number one, your plan of attack. Acknowledge your fears, whatever they may be. We have fears, right? Fears in life, whether it's fear of death, Fear of financial situations. Fear of life. Fear of doubt. Fear of children, for your children, right? Whatever you may fear, you've got to acknowledge those fears before you'll ever overcome them. You have to do that. 
Football analogy number one, ladies and gentlemen, right? Can you imagine? My older brother played 12 years in the National Football League. I played 10 years in the National Football League. My younger brother, Dale, was better than both of us put together. And all I talk about is football. Imagine my wife, Stephanie, <laughs> dealing with that all day, every day. Football is my life. Get ready, right, Steph? Football analogy number one. The NFL has locker rooms. Those locker rooms are absolutely filled with alpha males. I'm just telling you right now, hyper-aggressive alpha males in that locker room. There's a lot of testosterone flying around that locker room. But so many of the guys that play in the National Football League, I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, they are afraid to look at what it is that they've got to get better at. They're afraid to look at what it is they've got to overcome in their own life. Afraid, how do I get better as a football player? They don't want to look at this little area that they need to get better. They want you to focus on what they do well. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, if you never are willing to acknowledge the fact that you've got to do something, or you've got to acknowledge what it is that you've got to do to get better, you're never going to overcome that, are you? You'll never overcome it if you won't acknowledge it. So I would encourage you this morning to acknowledge your fear and the fear that you have here. Don't be that guy or that girl that will not acknowledge fear. On the screen, if we could bring this up, a couple of verses I wanted to read to you right now. Let's start with Psalm 55. We got them up there. All right. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You know what's so interesting about this, what I love about it? It makes an assumption, both of these verses. What's the assumption? The assumption is that you are going to have burden. The, the assumption is that you are going to face your fear, you're going to have anxieties. The assumption is there. And the assumption is there for a good reason, because we all have fear, no matter what it is that you want to acknowledge in your life. It might be different for you as opposed to somebody else, but we all have fear. I remember I was getting ready to play, or I was getting ready to leave for training camp in 1985, my rookie season in the National Football League. Yeah, I'm old. I'm fat and 55, and I'm old, okay? But I was getting ready to leave, and I realized I had never talked to my older brother, Craig. I had never talked to him about, do you have any advice for me? Any advice at all? So I called Craig. I was scared, and I said, Craig, I'm leaving tomorrow to go to training camp, my rookie year, and you know, I, I don't know what it is that I'm doing. I'm afraid. So I thought I'd give you a call and ask if there's any advice that you could give me. And Craig said to me, after pausing for about three or four seconds, he said, Ronnie, shut your mouth, respect everybody, and pick a fight with the toughest guy on the team. All right? Now that's what he said to me. I'm not here to give you that advice to go about your days or your life. But I'm here to tell you right now, if you're going to play football in the National Football League, that's not a bad way to go right there, I'm just saying. We should put that on a plaque and stick it over every rookie's locker, you know. Pick a fight with the toughest guy on the team. That worked to perfection. But I can tell you right now, 
Had I never called, had I never acknowledged my fear, I wouldn't have gotten that advice. That advice really helped me make that football team. So we have to acknowledge our fear. And by acknowledging it, then you can do something about it. That's the great thing. Acknowledge it first, and now you can do something about it. That's point number two. Attack your fear. Attack your fear with your faith in God. Make the decision to attack your fear with the truth of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to have a plan, though, too. A plan of attack. Not just an overall plan, but you, how are you going to attack? You have to have that plan of attack, right? And I'm going to give you that. But first, let me tell you a story. I was playing third preseason game. Yeah, the third preseason game of my rookie year. And we were, pro, we were playing against the Chicago Bears. How many people know who William the Refrigerator Perry is? Oh, boy, a lot of you, actually. Go ahead. Oh, there he is. The fridge right there, right? So I'm getting ready um, to go out onto the field. I'm, I'm actually out on the field. And the fridge, I'm sorry, was actually on the Bears' sideline with Mike Ditka, 1985. And Ditka was getting ready to put him in the game, right? He was talking to him on the sideline, chewing gum, and, and, and then he pushed him onto the field, right? And Soldier Field went absolutely nuts. 70,000 people, lights everywhere, 1985 Bears. William the Refrigerator Perry came running onto the field, 6'3", 385 pounds. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you right now, when a man is 6'3", 385 pounds, and he runs, stuff moves. <laughs> it moves. He came running onto the field, man, and I'm telling you right now, we were looking at him like, dude, man, that is unbelievable. The people at Johns Hopkins follow him around, waiting for stuff to fall off him, basically. <laughs> One of the largest human beings you've ever seen in your life, 6'3", 385 pounds. My plan of attack was this. We got into the huddle. We called the play. And here was my assignment was. Check the outside linebacker. If he rushed, I was to block him. If he dropped off into coverage, turn inside. Check the inside linebacker. This is my plan of attack. This is my assignment. This was my job. I checked, I checked the outside linebacker, of course. And he dropped off into coverage. I checked the inside linebacker. And he dropped off into coverage. There was just one problem. Here comes the fridge. <laughs> Untouched, up the middle of the field, here comes the fridge. 6'3", 385 pounds. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you right now, as, as sure as I'm up here, pounding on this table, I said to myself with a split second, I don't care how big you are, how fast you are, I am, I'm going to bust you up right here, fridge. And I got, I got right in his face, and I delivered everything I had. And it really doesn't matter what happened after that, does it? <laughs> it doesn't matter what happened after that. Don't miss the point. <laughs> but I will tell you what happened. He picked me up, ladies and gentlemen. He drove me five yards in the air, just walked me in the air, and boom! And I hit the ground. I thought I was blacked out. I, I thought I was blacked out because I'm thinking to myself, I, you can't hear anything, you can't see anything. You, you're, you're blacked out, Rod. And then all of a sudden I went, wait a minute. How would I know I was blacked out? If I was, right, I mean, if I was blacked out. 
What had happened is the fridge had actually fallen on top of me. And the largest piece of his anatomy wrapped right around my face. That being his guts. Got to have a plan of attack because you're going to get waylaid at some point in your life. There will be fear. There will be reason for it. And you're going to have to face it. Psalm 56, 3, when I'm afraid I put my trust in you. Here's another plan of attack. Isaiah 31, 1, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because there are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. There's a plan for you right there. There's a plan of attack. Isaiah 31, 1. Metaphorically, don't go down to Egypt for help because that's where everyone says that it's strong. Consult the Lord your God first. Let me encourage you to do that. How do we attack our fear? How? I talked to you a little bit about you got to have a plan of attack, but how can you attack your fear? Well, this is the way that I do it, and I think it's a good way to do it. Grab the sword and run down the hill. Attack your fear. Grab the sword. How many people know this is called the sword of the Spirit, right? The sword of truth, as my grandpa used to call it. So what do you do when you're afraid? Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What do you do when you're afraid? Read God's word. Dive into God's word. Start reading God's word. And I am talking to myself first and foremost. That's the first thing you can do, and it's the first thing I say you should do. Read God's word. What's the other thing you could do? Hide God's word in your heart. Psalm 119, 11 through 16 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Psalm 119, 11 through 16. This is how you can attack your fear. How you should attack your fear. Read God's word and then hide God's word in your heart. Grab the sword and run down the hill. After that, don't have a plan. (laughs) Don't have a plan. The Holy Spirit will lead you, guide you, comfort you, and strengthen you, right? Read God's word and then hide God's word in your heart. And after that, don't have a plan. Grab the sword and run down the hill. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Man, do you feel that? Isaiah 12, 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. 
Isaiah 12, 2. God's word, 2 Timothy 1, 7. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. This is what we have at our disposal if we'll just put our trust and our faith in the Lord Jesus. Not only that, in closing, I would like to say to keep your eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember Peter, right? The disciples, of course, when Jesus Jesus was walking on the water, right? And there was a storm and the wind was blowing and the seas were high and suddenly they saw him. They thought he was an apparition. They thought he was a ghost, right? Walking on the water. Peter said, Lord, command me to come out. And he did and he came out and Peter was walking on the water because he was looking at Jesus the whole time. And then what happened? The Bible tells us that then he noticed the wind in the waves around him, he noticed them, which tells me he took his eye off of Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He took his eye off of Jesus. And he started to sink. I want to encourage you, no matter what it is that you're facing here today, go on the offensive, grab the sword, and run down the hill. Attack your fear. Thank you so much for having me here. I would love to come back at some point in time. Scotty, I know I know you want to talk to me right here. Do you want me to help you grab this and set this up right here? But thank you. I appreciate oh, it as oh. always, my brother. Well, Ron, you, uh, you grew up not far from my wife in uh, western New York. Yes. She was, in, uh, she was outside of Buffalo to the north, and you were outside of Buffalo to the south. Lockport, right, Danny? Yeah, Lockport. Okay, yes. And uh, you were in Orchard Park? Yes, Orchard Park. Um, oh, Orchard Park. By the way, let me just say this. Orchard Park is built on a hill, and the higher up the hill you go, the more money you had. We live below sea level. <laughs> and you, oh, you laugh, but I'm telling you, dead-end street at the bottom of a hill, dead-end street that emptied into a gravel pit. That's, all, that's how low we were. But that's where the foundation was laid. And yes. uh, tell us about how you became a follower of Jesus. Boy, I grew up in a family, and I told the first service this, but I know my, my beautiful wife, uh, the warrior queen, Stephanie, over here, she's going to be nodding her head. I basically grew up in a family where we were all Amish, but we drove cars. And, um, you know, so fundamentally sound Grew up in a church of, of about 200 people, and they were basically made up of five families. Large families. Large, <laughs> large families, yes, Scotty, but just taught the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful for that, even to this day. So thankful for that kind of rooting and being built up in that. And yet, you know, I mean, it was... It was a dicey proposition. Uh, when my brother Craig was drafted into the NFL, he had to talk to my grandpa to actually get permission to play on, on the Sabbath. That's how fundamentally sound I'm talking, Scotty. And my grandpa decided that God had put Craig into this position to use his platform. So that's just to give you a little flavor of that, how fundamentally sound everybody in my family 
knew Jesus. And I remember being 12 years old and going to a camp out of Sega and uh, accepting Christ there. And the teacher had the old felt, remember? You young, crunk brothers don't remember this, I'll guarantee you. You millennials don't understand it. <laughs> they used to have the, the felts that you'd put on the board. Well, the teacher was putting up this, you know, the old nature and the new nature, and the, the old nature guy was all bent over like this. He was old, and he looked really nasty, you know, and yet the new nature guy looked like this, you know, like Mr. Clean literally standing there. But it was really interesting because I grew up, I knew everything about Jesus when I was 12. I, I, it just hadn't dawned on me that I really, truly had, had to make this decision until I saw that, the juxtaposition of the old nature and the new nature. And I knew, and I accepted Christ as my Savior. It was real in my life. I lived for him all through high school. I mean, was I perfect? Of course not. Um, all the way through college, all the way through the first seven, eight years in the National Football League, I was actively serving him. I was strong. And then something happened, uh, and I, I don't know what it was, but I took my eye, Peter, I took my eye off of Jesus. I got out of that boat, and I took my eye off him. And you know what? Instead of, instead of actually looking around and being afraid, I looked around and said, hey, look what you did. Now all of a sudden you're living in the best house in the best neighborhood of Orchard Park. Ron, you grew up as a poor kid in this town. And I'll tell you, that just, that kind of pride, it just snuck up on me before I even knew it was in me. And that kind of pride is why God disciplined me. I had become tepid. I had become lukewarm. I wasn't in God's word at all. I, what, my prayer life stunk. I wasn't taking my family. I led my family. I led my family. Four kids down a road of being lukewarm, tepid, which always leads basically to Jesus spitting you out of his mouth, metaphorically speaking. Destruction. And it happened to me. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you right now, Scotty, I know I'm riffing right now, but I'm, it, a, I'm a talk show host. This is what happens. I, I have sympathy for John now. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> this is what happens. Crack the microphone. I'm going to start talking. But I, I led my family down a road that I never should have. And suddenly, when I took my eye off the Lord God and I started looking around at all that I had done, I never made a willful decision to depart from the Lord. I never did. That's the way pride is. It creeps up in you, and before you know it, it's consumed you. God said, you know what, Ron? I didn't create you to be lukewarm. I didn't put you in the positions you were in to be lukewarm. As a matter of fact, if you say, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, beware the lukewarm for any of you here. Because I'm telling you right now, God's discipline will come down on you. It will. And that's what he did to me. The Bible says God disciplines those that he loves. As a father disciplines a son, so he disciplines us. He must love me a lot. Because he hammered me. In 90 days, I lost my marriage. I lost my house. I lost my career. 
I lost everything that I had ever thought that I wanted, loved and cared about, and it was all gone. When you make God priority number three or four in your life, he's not going to be there. He's not going to be there to catch you when you fall. Number one, yeah, he'll be there always. God had a plan for me. He was disciplining me. And that fall was precipitous. I, I literally didn't care if I lived or died. I came here to Phoenix. I'm ashamed to say it, but I need to. I need to. I need to say it. Because it's truth. I came to Phoenix, basically. Leaving Las Vegas, Nicolas Cage, that was me, right? Just came here because I had good memories of Phoenix. My life was just over. I had walked away from what I believed. I had walked away from the Lord God, not by choice, but just because all of a sudden I saw everything that I had done and I had led my family down this unbelievably dark path of destruction. And Ron, that was on you. Boy, I'll tell you, that's a hard thing for me to admit. Like I was telling you earlier, I was team captain eight of the 10 years I played in the NFL. I was like, get out of my way. I'll do this. I got you. That was me. God said, you know what? That's, you're a joke. And it cost me. And yet at the same time, I'm here to tell you right now, I am so grateful that he loves me enough to do that because there is no way I, I have grown so much stronger in my faith because of that four and a half years of darkness, because of that discipline, because of that being separated from him to a point where I know in my heart, I know in my heart that I'd never want to experience that again, Scott, ever in my life. I don't ever want to experience a second of what it's like to be apart from him. Because even though I sat at that bar and I sat there with my, my drink was a double jack on the rocks with a jack back, I might add, drank a bottle of Jack Daniels a day, still did a radio show in the morning. Think about that. Went from 3 to 11 at night, go to sleep for three or four hours, and I drank a bottle every night just so I could sleep three or four hours because I couldn't deal with what I had done. Get up and do it all over again the next day after doing a radio show back all the way in 1998. What an unbelievable mess that I was. But he found you. <laughs> what do you mean by that, Scotty? I mean, that, me. I mean that God, you sensed that you were, you were far from him. He was disciplining you, but he was still at work. <sighs> yes, he was still at work. No doubt about it. Those four and a half years, I just can't tell you how hard it is for me to acknowledge that. Looking back on that time in my life, the worst time of my life was the best time of my life. And the reason being is because God put the love of my life, my wife for 18 years, Stephanie, right in front of me. She was the one pouring into my glass. 
I mean, I don't know of a better picture that we could have of God's faithfulness. When we're not faithful, he is. And to actually watch it and see it and live it and experience it, where he would love me enough. Once I got it, once I realized what it is that I had done, that he would love me enough to say, I love you, and here's your future wife. 18 years ago, we grabbed each other's hand. We walked back to him. We, we both grabbed each other's hand and walked back to Jesus Christ. And what it was that we knew was truth in our life. We were basically Adam and Eve hiding in the garden right? Hiding in the garden from God. And yet we grabbed each other's hand and walked back. It's just, it's the best time of my life because of what God taught me in that time. That's powerful, Ron. It was powerful then, brother. Yeah. One of the reasons that I'm so glad to have you here and I had no reservations about inviting you on this stage is that I feel like you're living out your purpose. Um, for a season, it was to play on Sundays and Monday nights, and now it's every morning from 5 to 9 or 6 to 10 <laughs> now on the Doug and Wolf yes, show, and, yes. and then on the radio when the Cardinals play, that in those places, you're living for him. And you're Ron with all of your fun <laughs> quirks and particularities, um, but you're faithful to him. Thank and you. I've heard you on a regular basis take the opportunity to live out your faith and speak truthfully for it. And um, as we start this series about living our life on purpose, you know, I knew of nobody better to invite to share how we can face our fears and, and move towards that. So thank you. I'm really appreciative for Love you, man. Thank, thank you so man. much. Appreciate that. In a second, we're going to pray for Ron and just his faithfulness and the platform God's given him. But I, I don't know if it could be better expressed what it means to connect with the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And you may be today where Ron was in that four and a half years. Uncertain if God is real, true, and faithful. And if Ron can meet God in that place and experience God work in his life, and I believe that same God can do the exact same thing for you. And if that's true, this morning you could experience that today. And so I'm just going to ask that everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. Ron and I didn't plan that conversation to go that way before today. But I believe that there are some of you in this room that Ron's told your story. You weren't an NFL player, but you've been in that place. And if today you're in a place where you want to come home, you want to be found, and you're ready to turn around and go a different direction, then I want to offer you a chance to do that right now. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now so we can pray for you and encourage you? Anybody else? Thank you for your courage. 
If you raised your hand or if you wanted to, you can put it down right now. And I'm just going to invite you to pray this simple prayer right along with me. God, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. And I need you. I've gone the wrong way. And I'm a long way from home. But today I want to come home to you. Today I put my faith and trust in you, Jesus, that you're my Savior. That you died for me so that my sins can be forgiven and so that I can have my slate wiped clean and make a fresh start. God, I surrender my life to you. I lay it down today. I ask that you come in and make me new. Forgive my sins. Change me. I want to follow you and trust in you all the days of my life. Thank you for not letting go of me. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we would love to come alongside you and encourage you. And there's a couple ways that you can let us know that you made that decision today. The first one is that if you've got a phone, you can text us at 444-999. And if you just put the words, trust Jesus in that text, one of our team members will follow up with you later today and we'll walk along with you and support you as you take your next steps. If you still have your connection card, you can take it out to the Welcome Center in the lobby and one of our volunteer hosts would love to talk with you. Ron and I will be out there. We'd love to chat with you as well. I really believe that this was a, a God moment today and I'm so grateful that God led us to this day. We've been talking for several months about having Ron here and I'm just so glad that today was that day and that you're here. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me in a minute. We're gonna sing a song about how God makes us brave to face our fears. Jamie, would you lead us this morning? Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.